This is episode number 131 of the Rising Man podcast with Justin Patrick Pierce. Man is never so manly as when he feels deeply, acts boldly, and expresses himself with frankness and with fervor. Blessings and good rising to you, Rising Man family. Jetty Azuma here, bringing you another amazing installment of the Rising Man podcast. Before we get to today's episode, I want to share with you guys a little bit more about the Rising Man movement, because I know many of you out there, I don't know who you are yet. I keep meeting people all the time for the first time who tell me they've been listening to the Rising Man podcast for months. And first thing I want to say is reach out to me, introduce yourself. I'd love to hear from more of you guys and what you're getting from this Rising Man journey, whether you're a man or a woman, a male or a female. I've been hearing from both sides and loving the impact that the Rising Man is having on you. So if for no other reason than to just connect, please send me a message and let me know what's up about your journey in Rising Man so far. And especially for the fellas, if you guys are out there and you've just been listening to the podcast for a while, or maybe even just for a couple of months, and you're finding that there's a lot of value in the podcast, but just the information isn't really changing your life, I'm going to tell you the reason why is because you need to take a bigger step forward. Every moment in my life where I felt like I wasn't making forward progress, there was always a bigger leap that I was afraid to take. And here at Rising Man, we make it very simple for you guys. There's a very easy entry point into Rising Man. And not only an easy entry point, but we have a little bit of everything for wherever you're at. So I'm just going to take a minute to talk a little bit about the offerings we have, especially at this moment in time right now, for you guys who want to step deeper into your Rising Man journey. First and foremost, we've got our online virtual men's fire circles. And this is our baseline community of men from all over the world. We're approaching 100 men from every single continent, many different countries, who are learning how to share and hold space for one another how to hold each other accountable, how to reveal and express who you truly are and be seen and respected for where you're at on your journey. No judgment, no ridicule for who you are or who you've been, but just understanding, reverence and acknowledgement for each other and also beginning to challenge each other, holding each other to that razor's edge so that every one of us can become the men we were meant to be. You get put on your own men's team, you get held accountable and learn how to hold other men accountable. You even get an opportunity to be a leader of your team. And all that's possible by joining the Rising Man Fire Circles. So that would be step one. If you're ready to go even deeper and you think that you're ready to be on a team with me for three months, then we've got our Inferno Circles, which is the next level up from the Fire Circles. You get to work with me and my co-trainers for 12 weeks where we raise the level of accountability and focus on leading in your life and being a leader for other men and other people in your life by revealing all the blind spots and dirty socks that you've been hiding for years. And so if that's something that calls to you, you can go check that out on risingman.org as well. And last but not least, if you have never experienced a ceremonial initiation, a formal entry point from boyhood to manhood, or there's something in your life you're looking for clarity for, then go check out Compass. Compass is our four-day fasting ceremony where we send you out into the wilderness alone, 
obviously prepared, but alone, without food for four days and four nights. It's an incredible experience. We just came back with a team of men a few weeks ago who had an incredible experience out there with us in the mountains. And we're looking to fill our next Compass crew for the fall. So if that's you, if that's something you're interested in, then go to risingman.org right now and go check it out. All right. Everything that is waiting for you on your Rising Man journey is over at risingman.org. So pause this episode, go check it out right now, and then circle back to it later after you listen to my amazing guest in this conversation we have today. All right. Without further delay, our guest for today is Justin Patrick Pierce. He is the founder of Sacred. Justin works with veteran and up-and-coming spiritual teachers, authors, and facilitators to help them master their craft and bring their work to the world. As an international intimacy teacher and co-author of the best-selling book, The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love, Justin offers workshops, talks, and private trainings for men and women around the world to help them overcome challenges in relationship, master the embodiments of polarity, and pursue a life of purpose inside of long-term relationship. He teaches with his intimate partner, business partner, and best friend, London Angel Winters. In this episode, we discuss why there is no difference between a boy and a man, and a greater understanding of what consciousness really is, what it means to not be a manly person, and how you can navigate the world without needing to be macho or manly. We discussed a version of receiving that is not selfish or greedy. Justin shared his idea of the path to fulfillment, and why it's already available to you if you would only claim your freedom. And last but not least, we talked about how Justin found his way into a peaceful existence from experiencing emptiness in what seemed like the dream life. Without further ado, Justin Patrick Pierce. Okay, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man here on the show today, my friend Justin Patrick Pierce, coming in from Los Angeles, La La Land. How you doing today, bro? I'm doing very well, given the circumstances and climate of our world. My heart is heavy, but I am happy to be here with you today. Mm. Likewise, man. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I know for myself, it's been a contrast between how do I feel in my internal climate, my internal environment, and how does that compare to what's being reflected around me? Because I have a lot of things to be grateful for and happy and joyful about in my own life right now. And yet, I, as an empathic person, I, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm hurting with the rest of the world at what we're seeing. And also deeply inspired that it doesn't just seem like another round of protests that's going to rise and fall like so many have before. And you're closer to it. But before we really jump into what we're here to talk about today, what's what's your experience been so far of this being right in Los Angeles? The violence the other day was shocking. Before the, the peaceful protests began, there was a lot of violence in Santa Monica, in Venice. A police officer was shot only blocks away from my house. And I have an infant at home and my woman. And hearing gunshots and explosions in this neighborhood, um, to that extent certainly terrifying. It was very unsettling. My best friend is a black man. He's been my best friend for 10 years. So this narrative isn't in my world personally, but what has made itself known despite the violence kicking it off 
it's like a part of me feels like, man, this isn't part of my world. Why is this now part of my world? Why does it have to be a part of my world? But what I've come to feel through all of this is that would just be selfish because it's not my reality doesn't mean it's not my responsibility. And now that I feel this, it is my responsibility to be part of this because I don't believe that this should go on. Equality is my nature and that's what I love to see is today is a new day. Today you see people of all colors, all countries out in the streets and protesting this cause. Today is a new day and it's not like it was before. Our generation is demonstrating that's not our beliefs, that's not our way, it's not how we've been raised. And seeing how many people are like that standing makes me inspired. So while I feel the hurt, I also am equally as inspired by what's going on. And I do have a positive outlook for our future. I, I echo the same sentiments. My, my best friend is also a black man. And I've known him. We've had some really interesting conversations this past week. Because he and I have been friends for almost 16 years now. And only once in that time can I remember actually witnessing an exchange that where, where someone was being very oppressive and racist towards him and feeling the discomfort within myself and also just recognizing his response to it and, and just wanting to, going through it, really feeling it, being shaken up and then squashing it down and moving beyond it. And that happened over a decade ago when we were still much younger but having conversations with him this week and just asking how much of that was happening the rest of the time. Absolutely. So eye-opening. And one of the things you said I really connected with was how this was not part of your world and and suddenly now it is. I've been experiencing that very much my, myself this past week and, and recognizing that I do have friends who are very closely impacted by exactly what's being protested right now. And that there was a part of me that didn't want this to be a part of my world and it is now. And that responsibility you speak of is one of the primary markers for me of at least the man I want to be. I want to be a man who may, who takes responsibility for things that may not even be my own, but I want to take responsibility for all of it and be that kind of man. So absolutely. And on this call, we're going to talk about masculinity and consciousness and if I've come to learn anything by studying this work for as long as I have, is that the more conscious one becomes, the broader your shoulders get, and your reward is that the world will throw more responsibility and burden on your back. That is our reward for waking up. As we become conscious, our responsibility increases exponentially, and the world gets heavier, and we get stronger. Mm, I like that, man. I haven't heard it articulated quite like that before. So let me ask you this follow-up then. What is the difference between a boy and a man? There's two answers to that question. In the work that I study, there's absolutely no difference between them. There's no difference between them. Why? Because the word masculine means something very specific to the world I come from and what I teach. It means consciousness itself, and consciousness is ever-present in all of us equally. It doesn't change with time. It doesn't change with our bodies when they grow. It doesn't change with the way that we show up or the actions we take. It's the constant, persistent principle which is always available to us. It is consciousness itself. 
So from that perspective, there's no difference between boy and man. There's no difference between man and woman. There's no difference between man and animal. There's no difference there. So when I speak and talk and teach about the masculine, that is my primary point of focus. And when a boy or man learns how to rest as that consciousness or identify as that consciousness, he will automatically begin to embody those attributes we call masculine, stillness, mm. solidarity, presence, courage, inner strength, clarity of mind. They will naturally manifest from that orientation towards consciousness. On the other side of the spectrum, in our more conventional world, there's an obvious difference between boys and men. And that has mm. to do with their age, their behaviors, their mindset, their actions. Are they living morally, immorally? Are they reactive? Are they non-reactive? And then we get into that whole mishmash of ideas of what does it mean to be a man? And that I call more the self-development or personal development dimension, the karmic action dimension, whereas the prior one is the practice and focus of pure spirit, of the spiritual path exclusively, which mm -hmm. transcends and pervades all conventions. So from those two worlds, that's that's our starting point. And I'd love to know from you, which one are you speaking to? And what about those inspires this question? Well, I, I love your response, man. And I think it's, it's a reflection of where my own opinions about this have migrated towards is that when it, when I, if I do make a distinction between boy and man, it has all, everything to do with my version of a boy is one who is being taken care of by society, by his village, by his people. He still needs to be fed. He needs to be looked after to, kept, to be kept safe. He requires attention and visibility and being seen. Whereas a man shifts the balance in a different direction because I don't think that a man is entirely unto himself. I think that that's also another part of what's gotten so many of us into trouble is believing that we need to be able to be fully self-contained and self-representative. But for me, a man is able to give back and take care of his people more than he asks for them to take care of him. Solidarity was a word that you used. I like that. I like that word being brought into this conversation of masculinity because I don't know if that's one that I've associated with masculinity before, at least not directly. And so the reason I start off with that question in every interview is because I've found that what most of us are interested in is more of a conversation of masculine and feminine than it is about boy, man, or man and woman. Although we tend to use those words interchangeably a lot. And so the fact that you picked that right apart and went right towards masculine, for me, masculine is very much what you described as well. I think my masculine power, when I really feel into it, has a lot to do with being grounded, with being logical, with being solution-oriented, being a provider, a protector, those, those identifiers that's, that feel good to me when I'm in my masculine power feels like naturally where I come from and where I, where I look to be of service. So that's, that's my orientation around it. And I'd like to hear you go a little bit deeper into your discovery of masculinity. Because I know that the first thing that stood out to me when I was doing my research on you was that 
article you'd written. I think you said it was obviously I'm not a manly man or obviously I'm not. Obviously I'm not a manly person. A manly person, right. So so tell tell us a little bit about that perspective and what you mean by that for yourself personally and then collectively. I'm happy to go into that. And you said something so beautiful that I don't want to miss the moment. So what you just described about this paradox of being a boy and being taken care of and then this evolution into becoming the father or the provider or the protector or the one that takes care of, I love that. And right there, there's a polarity in that. There's this or that. And in the work that I study, what resolves the duality is bringing the third principle into it. And that reconciles it and makes it one again. What I mean by that is there's a paradox to those two half-truths. Yes, we are the boy who's needy on the community. And then we grow into this father and then we transition into becoming. But the revelation around all of that in our own masculinity is the paradox of living as both the father and the son, the father and the son, because no matter how much we grow and how independent we become or how much we believe we're capable of providing, we are always being provided for. Simply do nothing and watch your body breathe itself. There's a force breathing you alive. The sustenance and the food that enters your body, the water that you drink is caring for you and nourishing you. The sun is growing you and giving you energy. We are all sons here. Relationship that we can never escape, no matter how free we attempt to become from it. And it's a, it's a humbling experience because we're, part of us feels trapped by that. And there's suffering that's associated in that. Understanding all the spiritual traditions, recognize that disembodiment here is suffering, that dynamic. And to surrender to that principle, surrender to it, recognize that we are sons being cared for here and simultaneously don't let it end there, but to then pass that gift down to the community, to your children, to your woman, and live in that relationship with both directions, to me, is what defines the, the apex of masculinity, one who has mastered both those capacities. Mm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Which of those ends of the spectrum have been most challenging for you to live into as, a, as an adult, em- embracing more of the, I guess, what we'll, we'll call boy for now, and the other side of it being what we call man? I'd like to stick to the way that you describe boy, because I think it means something specific to you, and I want to make sure I'm not manipulating any definition here. So when you say boy, you, you spoke to it a little bit, but what do you really mean by that word when you say boy? What, what ideas... Do you have associated with that? Let's say the part of us that receives or the part of us that asks for something back or, or depends on others for something that we, we don't provide for ourselves. Whereas the man is the one who's on the, on the opposite side of that, doing the caring for, the protecting, the giving. Mm. Well, that's a very interesting idea because the way I see receptivity and the ability to receive something is not selfish whatsoever, is not boyish at all. The capacity to receive life, to receive breath, to drink water, to receive that, to receive feedback, to receive love from another human being, to be able to be penetrated and penetrable in a certain way is a sign of an open heart. And the old idea of masculinity is my heart's going to be closed and I'm going to be cold and nothing will, you know, I'm impenetrable man. And it turns into machismo and abrasiveness. 
and a lack of sensitivity in relationship to the world and therefore creates oppression and destruction. But receptivity is the skill of every mature masculine man. He learns how to soften his heart and receive and feel for himself his impact that he's having on the world moment to moment. Suddenly his heart is no longer closed. He's no longer cold. He can feel the impact he's having on his woman or his child or when he walks out into the world, the hurt that he creates. And that is only because he has become receptive enough to feel it, to receive the Mm. feedback and say, whoa, I got to do better than this. I'm having a bad impact. So from my worldview, receptivity would go into the mature cultivation of both mature masculine and the mature feminine. And then I think the way I would describe the way you're defining boy, boyhood, is selfishness, dependence, neediness, and kind of a taking without giving back. Like it's a, it's a constant desire for intake, but not the return. So there's not an even exchange or equal exchange in the relationship. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, for for the most part, when I've when I've really dug into this part, which I which I'm glad we're doing. I, I love going to this level of depth. When I've gone to this depth before in other conversations, typically what I arrive at is that my own orientation around boy and man usually ends up becoming similar to a conversation of feminine and masculine. And I think what you're doing is you're really compartmentalizing the boyish part of it. Whereas uh, a naturally a giving and receiving polarity is, is pretty easy to see a masculine and feminine balance between those two things. And I think a lot of those behaviors you, you isolated to boy also to me is something that you don't need to be, it doesn't, regardless of your age, regardless of where you are in your circle of life, all of those traits can be expressed by, by men who haven't learned how to do those things that you said. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you're, you're going right to that. Cause I think that it's also a very timely conversation that we're, we're having in, as a culture, as a society right now is how, how much of that resistance to being penetrated on any different type of level is a result of or, or has been the, the cause for so much of what we see in, in the world and on this planet. There's no question about it. There's no question yeah. about it. And our culture, particularly in the West, is a culture that prioritizing, prioritizes numbing ourselves. We are all medicated. We are all zoning out. We are all feeling so much, but then we don't want to feel. So we numb ourselves. If we're drinking alcohol, we're numbing. If we're drinking lots of caffeine, we're numbing. If we're taking supplements that dampen the pain or do something to the mind to fixate it somewhere and keep it off of other things, discomfort, we're avoiding feeling something. And that Mm -hmm. avoidance of feeling is the avoidance of relationship itself. It's literally a gesture that forces us into isolation. And we can be laying in bed next to the person we love and still feel so alone because we isolate, numb ourselves in those ways. And the remedy or the medicine to that is allowing ourselves to be so sensitive and penetrable and feel what's going on. And it hurts. That's why no one wants to do it. It's, Mm-hmm. spiritual practice doesn't mean we're all going to get high and feel good vibes. It's like, <laughs> that's part of it. But there's this other part that is, as we sensitize this degree, we're going to feel suffering to agree a degree we've been avoiding for a long time. 
and we learn to come into relationship with our own suffering. And then as we evolve, we're able to handle that. And then our back broadens, right? Our consciousness gets wider. We become more aware, more sensitive. And then we're able to do it for someone else too, because we can hold our own. And then we realize, wow, I'm a gift to myself now. It's a gift to my partner. What's next? Ah, I can give this ability to hold this level of suffering to the world now. My back is strong mm. enough, broad enough, but that comes from choosing to no longer numb or isolate oneself, but to be in this very uncomfortable relationship that we're all in right now. Yeah, I've, I really want to zero in on what you brought to the table around our shoulders broadening and, and consciousness being the definition of, I think you said the definition of masculinity and, and even just becoming an adult. Mm -hmm. Adult is another word that I like to bring into the conversation. It's a good word. Uh, for me, it's, it's reflective of experience and maturity that when, when combined puts each of us in a, in a greater position to be of service. And so that idea, even just the visual, as you were describing it, of shoulders becoming broader becoming wider. My first experience of that was right around the age of 20, 21. I was starting to really see more of the darkness in the world. I was in, I was in college and I was in a community of friends who we, we were all discussing and, and researching and, and learning about social justice issues and even going to other countries. And it was the first time that I, I really saw some more of the pain of the world. And I remember immediately I wanted to do something about it. And in trying to understand it more and see where I might be able to fit in and be a solution, also in the absence of anyone who could really direct me towards that, other than my other friends that were trying to sort it out and figure it out for themselves, I, I came to a bit of a dead end, to a point where the, the, the weight felt so heavy and the task felt so massive that I didn't know what else to do. And that was when I began my journey of numbing myself with substances and, and escaping in whatever way that I could because I just, either I wasn't ready to bear the weight or I didn't know how to. I didn't even know if it was my place to. And which, which is also maybe a tangential conversation about mentorship and why I really felt that I needed men in my life or adults in my life to help reflect that back to me. But it was also important for me to just really feel that, feel the pain and, and go through the pain and not have an easy way out of the pain, although that's what I was looking for at that point in my life. So when you say that, that image of my shoulders broadening and feeling the pain, I, I've, I've felt my shoulders broaden just this past 10 days with everything that's been going on across the world. And it feels like a growing pain. Yes. You know, my son is four and a half years old right now. So every few nights he wakes up with pains in his knees and we, we've got to help him through that. And I remember what that's like as a kid, just that deep, achy pain that in the morning you're happy about it because, you know, you got bigger, you know, you got taller. But in the moment, it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable for the body to stretch and grow to that capacity, but it's necessary. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And when you described the enormity that you felt of that weight, I got goosebumps all over my body. Mm. Because the profundity of suffering is tremendous. And if anything that we can learn from these masculine practices or spiritual practices, or which are really the bedrock of their foundation, is that there's, it's important to do work in the world, good work in the world, right speech, right action, to take action. That's part of it. And simultaneously, the spiritual teachings show us that. There's no action 
There's no doing that you're going to do, and you're suddenly your suffering will, in this form, come to an end. That the suffering of this place, that that dynamic of even just being born into this place and then being ripped away from it, and having everything and everyone you love being ripped away from it too, that in and of itself, that life-death cycle is suffering. Even if we had beautiful lives from start to finish, just the fact that we could live that way and then it, we would be pulled away from them again, inherently built into that, is suffering. And that's why I've been so called to this work and these teachings and understanding the masculine from this perspective. Because when it's understood from here, there's no action you need to take to find freedom, to realize your full potential as man, as masculine, as love, as provider, giver, protector, now. And that's through the way you show up in your body and with your attention. And when your mind is in panic and circling on a hamster wheel about, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, such that you're never present with anyone around you or the people that need your presence, you've compromised your ability to bring that masculine gift to others in your life. If your body is constantly agitated and reactive, eating wrong, letting irritation or numbness take you over out of an irritation, not wanting to feel, being frustrated or feeling imprisoned by your life, by your job, by your lack of money, by your lack of choices. These practices train us. How must I hold my body? How must I breathe? What must I do with my attention right now? to transcend the illusion of my own suffering. And when we understand those ancient principles that describe consciousness of the masculine, today, as men in this generation, we can better understand what masculine means for ourselves. And the paradox is resolved because any man who spends time cultivating consciousness in his life will automatically begin to embody the traits of that masculine with a capital M automatically he will become that. Some people, I think, they see and hear about those traits and they try and put them on like a piece of clothing for a moment or a weekend. And that's fine to practice. That's how we all started. That's how I started, right? Mm -hmm. Just like a martial art, you go to the gym and throw a punch, but it takes <laughs> many punches before it becomes authentic, right? Mm. But what you eventually start to learn is that if you can touch the source authentically in your own teaching, in your own practice, automatically all of those attributes and traits that women find sexy, that other men are inspired by, will start to become you automatically. Your groundedness, your presence, your confidence, your strength, your capacity to be with the moment and not be reactive in the face of it. Those are all things as men, I think we, we can safely say we're trying to get there and touch those things. And, yeah. and this is what I found is not a shortcut, but the most direct way for any man to get there. I agree. And even just in my own journey, as I'm reflecting, I remember how much of that time I spent thinking about where I wanted to get to and looking for indications that I was actually moving in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I spent a lot of time and energy and, and even suffering, if we want to use that word, around feeling like I wasn't getting to where I wanted to be mm. or, or even doubting that I was moving, moving towards that, mm. which is part of, I think, the masculine 
uh, at some level is, is completion and wanting to resolve something to move on to another thing. But the patience and the trust was a far greater lesson for me than trying to get there. And uh, I'm still learning it right now. I'm not, I've, I've never been a patient person. I'm still <laughs> learning so much about patience, uh, especially with small children. How, how old is your child? She's 18 months now. 18 months. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a journey, man. Uh, Fatherhood, parenting, all of that. Uh, But everything in the path is moving you towards that. As long as like, like you said, there's, there's an awareness around being conscious. And I I like the singularity of that target. If we just, if we just focus on that, on presence and consciousness, how much we can gain just, just from that. And the rest of it ends up taking care of itself because walking a conscious path demands that you encounter opportunities to be more so. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I'm really understanding that and what you say, man. And I wanted to ask you about a distinction between pain and suffering because I know mm. I've heard a quote that really stands out to me and helps me in my life, my journey, is that pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. Interesting. And so I've heard you use the word suffering and I, I'm just wondering if there's... Uh, if you could explain a bit your your perspective on suffering and pain as part of life. In, in the Buddhist tradition, suffering is one of the three characteristics. Right? It's, it's a central concept to a lot of spiritual tradition, is to recognize, embrace, transcend, surrender to this kind of quality, suffering. And there's a few different ways that we can go about that depending on our lineage, our what path we choose, what practices we choose to take. But amidst all of these paths, suffering is understood by all of the traditions as far back as we go in time. Every human being has experienced tremendous suffering here and the inevitability of suffering. Now, I can't speak on behalf of any one tradition, but I study many of them. And what I've come to understand, suffering is a choice. Suffering is a choice. And what is required to not choose suffering is far more profound and simple than I think most of us ever come to understand. Hmm. When we talk about the transcendence of suffering, we are talking about enlightenment, immortality, realization, to realize no self, to transcend self entirely to recognize there is no I. These are how some of the greatest masters and sages have described this experience. The end of duality, the end of self, the transcendence of self. So long as there is an I, there will be suffering. Hmm. The me suffers. And if our attention is on the me, the result, the product of that is suffering. But me is an illusion. It's illusory. It's not real. There is no me. There's a body. There's a device. You know, but this thing that I keep pointing to and isolating as a singular separate entity is actually not true. There's no self, as the Buddhists would say. No self. And I struggled with that idea for many years. I would sit in my meditations. I'd understand suffering. I'd understand impermanence. And it's like, no self. What the hell does that mean, no self? What do you, of course there's a me, you know, like, look at me, I'm here, there's a body, okay. Are they saying my body's not here? Are they, what, 
what are they trying to say here? And no one can speak that to you and say, this is what that means. We could try. <laughs> we try. But until you experience it directly, it's, it's a near impossible communication to make. But what we start to observe, if we understand impermanence, everything that makes up me is changing moment to moment to moment. My body is changing moment to moment to moment. My emotions are changing. My thoughts are changing. My inner voice inside me is changing. Everything that makes up me, that identity that I call I, is undergoing constant change. And what is understood in spirituality is that anything that changes is not true. Anything that changes is not true. So therefore, what is true? It is only mere consciousness, that which is prior to experience itself, prior to all sensation, all feeling, experience even. And that's where non-duality comes into picture. Suddenly, me, I, other, there is none. And each of us experience something quite like that every time we go to sleep every night in dreamless sleep, right? I mean, where do you go? You know, like, we're not, there's no I, there's no other, there's no form. We have dreams. That's different. That's the subtle dream body. But in dreamless sleep, all of that phenomenon disappears. Yet you wake up and aren't, you, can't you tell if you slept well or you didn't sleep well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> there was an experience, but it was non-experiential to the teacher. <laughs> and teachers like Ramana Maharshi will reference that experience often in teaching us this work or this concept of non-duality. Whereas if we can touch that space of emptiness now, such that now in your waking moment, there is no I, there is no other, then you will know that freedom that is beyond suffering, but not a moment sooner, not a moment sooner. In the Upanishads, the ancient Indian text written by the... Uh, Jhana yogis who would go into the forest, right? And practice these things, these austerities, and gain this wisdom. They said in this book, in one translation of it, where there is an other, fear arises. Wherever there is an other, fear arises. So long as you feel separate, there's a you, and then there's someone else outside of you, that relationship is fear. It will naturally arise because you experience yourself as being separate from inherently the same idea of a suffering. And the only way to transcend that fear and that suffering is to transcend it directly by transcending the self, the me, the I. There is no I. There is no self. There is no other. And then it just gets reduced to beingness. Hmm. Yeah, man. I And I've studied a, a bit of Buddhist teachings, not recently, but back when I was, what I was referencing before early on in my early 20s, where I was trying to reconcile some of these things I was feeling. And I've, I always found what, what you said, that a lot of the, a lot of the teachings are very, very hard to comprehend mm -hmm. because of it, it, it almost directly contradicts everything else that we've been led to believe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so I, I recognize that I'm sure it takes it takes many time much time and perhaps many lifetimes to really embrace that understanding, but it certainly is a it's an it's an interesting and an intriguing idea, you know, to separate ourselves or or to not have a self to separate. Yes. Uh, to see it all as all encompassing and, and all as one. I've spent more of my recent years studying uh, Native American teachings mm -hmm. and 
there's a similar teaching of oneness, of connection to all things that in contrast to Buddhism, I just found to be more accessible because they were talking about things I could see right in front of me. They were talking about, they were still talking about trees and, and rocks and rivers, but all of them being part of a greater organism. And so I've actually, for the first time right now, I'm actually seeing how, how similar those, those teachings actually are, just using a little bit of a different path to, to get to arrive at that. But the, the piece of, of that, in fact, I actually experienced a, a relief in, in seeing that I'm not separate from all of that. Absolutely. So, yeah. If we can just, if it becomes visceral, as an idea, it doesn't do much for us. Mm. It might feel agitating as an idea. It might feel good as an idea. But if it's just an idea, it does nothing. Only through the direct experience of that does it serve us. As you described, and immediately there is a consolation to that. There is a transcendence of something. And it doesn't require you to be one day older. It doesn't require you to have one dollar more. It doesn't require you to be on purpose in your life or know what career or job you're in. It requires nothing except understanding. Mm. Yeah. And and I think that's because I, I talk a lot about being able to channel this power that we have, mm. you know, a lot of times I call it a masculine power for those of us who can relate to that, to be able to channel that masculine power into something that is, that is of service to the rest of the world, to the rest of humanity as, as a function of the journey through a lifetime, being able to identify something and to do that. But the other piece that we've spoken about for most of the rest of this conversation is the the contrast to that, or I guess the balance to it, where you, we don't have to try so hard. And, and I know there's also a lot of suffering for me in trying to identify that thing and to define it and to attach myself to it as though it were some rigid thing. I used to believe that having a vision for my life meant one day I'd get a snapshot of what it looked like. And the only thing I had to do for the rest of my life was feed that thing. And what I've noticed, what I've learned about vision for myself is that that's something that's always evolving. It's constantly changing. The circumstances of my life are always changing in a way I could have never anticipated. And yet, as long as I can read the road signs as I go and really interpret and integrate them and respond to my surroundings, it's really the only thing that I have to do. It's really the only thing that I believe is being asked of me by a higher power or the universe, whatever we want to call it. That's, And it's, it's so simple and I, I don't, I don't think I could have even appreciated it as as a younger version of myself. I think I needed to feel the rigidness and trying to force something through a narrow tube and realizing that that's, that's a lot of wasted energy. Yeah, definitely. You know, I had a life-changing experience maybe about seven years ago. I'd been involved in all this work, but I also had a life. I was a, I was a private health professional and coach. I was... Um, I was actually working in like luxury real estate department. I was regional director of you know design, marketing, so on and so forth. I had moved out to LA to make myself awesome, you know, do it like look good, get money, you know, excel. And I worked hard, and I and I put I used my practices to get clear on what I wanted to manifest, and I manifested it. I was doing very well financially. And you know what? 
probably six months into getting everything that I set out to achieve in that short period of time, I got so miserable at one point as I was driving home from work through the canyons in Topanga. I would literally imagine not turning the wheel and just flying off the cliff at full speed. Somehow I had arrived at that place where what was, what I manifested in my life was not working for me. And it was everything I asked for. And I was not happy about it. I was not fulfilled. I was dying. It wasn't from a lack of money. It wasn't from a lack of getting the things that I wanted. It was from everything that I had asked for was here now. And here I am driving home. Imagine driving off the cliff because of the way that I felt, the doom. And that was a life-changing moment. And I came home and I sat and I said, this has got to change and I have got to listen to something deeper than my own desire, my own imagination of what I need to do. And what I had done was I quit all of the jobs I worked so hard to manifest. I quit them. I kept one client in my life online so I could work a minimum amount of time. And that was just enough to pay my bills and my food so that I could survive during this period. And every day I would sit in meditation and I would do nothing. And I would wait to be shown or told what I needed to move next. I cut out all the garbage and I, I said, I can't trust my own desire. It's going to lead me into this place again. I need something to show me. I need to listen from a place that is deeper. I need to listen, not speak. And I listen. And from that moment on, it put me on a trajectory for the rest of my life that has led me here in this moment. And from that point, I've never done work for money. I've never done work. I mean, I, I get money for my work, but I don't choose work because I'm getting money for it. I choose work from this place that I had discovered, which is an alignment inherently with my deepest purpose, a purpose that I couldn't have spoke or manufactured myself. There was a purpose that was discovered by being still, getting quiet, and listening for what I had to live into. And at the time, it was very much against what I wanted to do. I never wanted to be an intimacy relationship teacher. I never had any, I never wanted to put my relationship out there in public view. I loved my relationship and my spiritual practice with my partner. I didn't want to make it public. I was still against it. And inevitably, step by step, that's where I was guided. And that's how I'm here in this moment today. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story because I think that that's a good representation of what we're talking about. You know, the letting the, letting the path reveal itself. I can relate to what you're, what you're expressing about driving on the road and having those visions of just driving off of it. I, the way I think about it, cause I know so many of us men, we have moments in our lives like that at what seems like greater and greater rates compared to, to women for one reason or another. But to me, it's like arriving at a dead end. I've been driving and driving and driving and driving, going where I thought I needed to go, and then suddenly arriving at a dead end out of nowhere. And instead of turning around, finding the road again, and figuring out a different way, adapting, changing, shifting my expectations on where I thought I needed to go or how I needed to get there, I just jump off the cliff that I find at the dead end because I had so much expectation, attachment, whatever you want to call it, invested in that outcome. And I don't know if it's a function of machismo, the modern day man, the version of masculinity that we've inherited or some combination of all of that, but there's a lot of guys out there 
who, who just jump off the cliff or just sit at the dead end. Some people just sit there and wait for the road to, I know there's a road here. I know there's a road here. I know there's a road here. I just can't see it yet. <laughs> so I don't know if that resonates for you or if you've got something you could share. Cause I know there's also a lot of guys who might hear this and say, wow, that sounds great. But what do I do with that? How do I get there? You know, Every, everything that I discuss in this path and in this work, it has to be paradoxical. And each side of the paradox is a half-truth, meaning it's correct, but it's not the whole truth. So what I would say is history shows us that there are examples of men who get to that road at the dead end, they sit on the end of it for a second, and they go, fuck it, I'm building a road. And they build a road that was not there before, and they they create a path in our world that did not exist before them. That is an incredible attribute of men in our world. Most of the examples of those types of men tend to be more brutal in their demonstrations. Genghis Khan could be said to be one of them, but certain rulers mm-hmm. who near succeeded at taking over our world were these types of individuals. Uh, warrior spirits, you know, um, for better or worse. And then there's, there's another path to that too. And both of those are true. Right? And I think all of us would want to feel the part in ourselves that have the ability to get to the end of a road and build a road no matter what. I think that's inherently something as men, a trait we would all love to possess. And I sincerely believe that there aren't many men on, even on the planet who possess that trait to that nth degree, such that the world in itself makes that shift. We all want it. We'd all love to have it. I do not believe that's karmically built into every single one of us. The potential is as man, but is that our karmic path? Is that our destiny? And, and a distinction for all of the men on this podcast right now that I want to share that changed my life was from one of my primary teachers, David Data. He was a teacher that changed my life with some of his ideas and teachings most profoundly. And he distinguishes between there's a spiritual purpose and a karmic purpose. And every man is constantly living in relationship with those two. The karmic purpose is you were born into this life and you had a, your father wasn't there and you had a certain relationship with your mother and your karmic purpose is to learn how to be a great father for your kids and then teach other men how to be a great father because you didn't have one. And that becomes part of your karmic purpose. Your purpose might be to write a book. Your purpose might be to just have a family. Your purpose might be to X, Y, Z. So that's karmic purpose. It's the doing. And there's a momentum that you carry from your lineage, your genetics, your condition, the world you were born into. If you were born into a project, your karmic purpose is, I want to be a part of the solutionist. This is horrific. Other people should not be experiencing this. What needs to get done to bring an end to this? That's a karmic purpose spiritual purpose is what we were describing earlier in that conversation is to transcend karma altogether and realize love consciousness now without anything changing so as a man if we can live simultaneously holding those two we will allow ourselves to fulfill whatever karma purpose needs to come through and we can do it in equanimity understanding that no matter what we achieve or accomplish karmically it's just going to keep going and never be enough. There's no finish line on that karmic path that you're moving towards. So long as you're on the hamster wheel, the hamster wheel keeps spinning. You have to get off the hamster wheel for the run to stop. And karma is that hamster wheel. So long as we participate in plan karma, 
the hamster wheel keeps going. And what I love about the teachings I've been taught is it doesn't say stop the hamster wheel or stop participating in karma. It says just realize you're on the hamster wheel and enjoy <laughs> the run, enjoy the ride. And then that is what reconciles for me and changed my life as a man when I saw, yeah, there's a karmic process in here. And there's also another purpose where if I can identify and recognize that I am that consciousness complete, profound already, and that inherently is a gift to the world and those I love now, that will allow you to find equanimity in your life, no matter what arises, at what moment or point in your life you're in. And the balance, the harmony between those two is what I would consider living life at an apex, living a masculine life at the apex, the located point. Wow, man. I, I really am digging this conversation. <laughs> I'm really digging what we've, what we've gotten to tap into and all the wisdom that you brought to the table. You know, before we started, I, I thought that we would eventually migrate towards your your medicine and and beyond what we've already shared, obviously, but your medicine in in sexuality and intimacy and and yoga as a modality. But so much of what you you shared and and opened our eyes to today, I think, is exactly where we needed to go. <laughs> so, Jetty, um, it's, it's a humble pleasure to spend this time with you and get to know you as a man. I'm so delighted to meet you and feel what you're giving to your community, your audience. And I can feel just in this conversation type of man that you are. And I'm inspired by you and the work that you're doing in the world, genuinely. So it is such an honor to get to know you right now. <laughs> Likewise, my friend. Likewise, yeah. I, I get the great fortune and honor of getting to know so many men in this, in this way. I really, what I appreciate most about you is the depth of practice that I can experience from hearing your story of your history and how I experience you in this moment, it's clear that you've spent a lot of time in your practice and that's really inspiring for me. So thanks for being a living embodiment of that. And before I cut you loose, I want to ask you just a couple rapid fire questions. And then um, if you would at the end, share with us how people can find you and get to work with you and, and your lovely partner and the amazing things that you guys are up to out in the world. Awesome. I speak very slowly, so I'm terrible at rapid fire, but I will do my best. <laughs> uh, rapid fire in the spirit of not thinking too much about it, which I have a feeling you'll do fine. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Sure. Uh, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? I'm already complete. I'm already as complete and free and loved and loved as I'll ever be. I like that. I really could have used that reminder as an 18 year old. <laughs> I don't think I would have understood it, but even if just someone planted the seed, but yeah, it happens in perfect timing. Okay. What do you think is most important value to have as a man? Presence. Presence. Yeah. Clearly embodying that, my friend. So last but not least, just tell us where people can go to follow you, find you, get involved in the work that you and your partner are doing. Best way to stay in touch with the work that I do and become part of our community and conversation is on Facebook. So my Facebook group is called Yoga of Intimacy, and that is a community, a workshop that my partner and I offer, and the central body of work that I teach, Yoga of Intimacy. Learn about masculine feminine polarity and how it relates with the intimate partner, not just in bed, but in all areas of life. So Yoga of Intimacy on Facebook is the primary place because I'm always engaging. And then my personal website is justinpatrickpierce.com. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I look forward to catching up with you a little further down the road and digging in more into yoga of intimacy and everything you have to share on a relational level, because that's also, I'm sure, very powerful. But thank you for bringing everything that you brought today. Uh, truly, I'm, I'm leaving this conversation inspired and with new things to chew on in my own journey and defining what it means for me to become a man and, and to be the man that I want to be. So thank you for the time, man, and lots of blessings to you and your family. Enjoy that little 18-month-old daughter of yours. That's it's a precious time, man. Thank you so much, Jetty. I'm sending my best to you and your community and your loved ones as well. I hope that this conversation was equally as powerful for you as it was for me to sit in this man's presence and dialogue with him for an hour. Really tremendous. He's doing incredible work out there. I encourage you guys to go follow Justin and his partner, London, in with the work that they're putting into the world and really just spending some time with this man. He is He's an experience. His presence is locked in, perhaps more than anyone I've experienced before. So Justin, if you're listening, thank you, man, for being on here. And everybody else who listened, thank you for checking it out. As always, I want to remind you guys to go to risingman.org. And like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we are always open to the men who are willing to step up and step into the fire circles or the next level inferno circles, or even coming out with us on our next vision fest group initiation called compass all that information is at risingman.org as well as links and show notes for each and every one of these episodes please subscribe to us wherever you're listening to us keep dropping those messages comments and reviews because we love reading them and we love that you help us tell the world how awesome rising man is and what it's meant to your life also check us out and give us a follow on instagram at rising man movement if you're not a follower already and on youtube at youtube.com slash the rising man movement i know a lot of you guys see our videos that we put out on Facebook and Instagram, but we would love for you guys to go check them out and give it a view on YouTube as well and drop some comments there. Big shout out to my Rising Man Power team, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Rowan, and Mark. My five guys helping me hold down all the Rising Man work that we're doing here. Thank you guys for all that you do. And everybody else out there listening, you know, I love you guys. I'm so, so, so grateful and humbled by the support this community has generated over just the past two and a half years. So onward and upward, let's keep rising. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.